It's the end of the world as we know it, and I feel fine. This is the hour of doom and bloom. Oh my gosh, what is that of the dulcet tones <laughs> tonight? We have a very rare treat. The goddess herself is oh. taking some time out from uh-huh. packing pandemic kits, masks, other such stuff to join us today. Bottling hands. How are you? Bottling hand sanitizer too. Oh, that's right. I have a new one. Well, tell me about that. It is a plant-based alcohol, which I had never smelled before. Hmm. I think it might be based on corn. There's a picture of corn on it. (laughs) But it has a, it has an unusual smell. They put a lavender scent in it. Okay. Um, Some people love lavender. I'm not a big fan. So I thought, hey, let's spice this up a little bit with some essential oil uh, tangerine. Tangerine essential oil. Tangerine oil. That might be nice. Of course, we live in Florida and you and I love the orange blossoms. Yeah, I just yep. love that citrus smell. Sure so do. I added tangerine essential oil to it and shook it up, and it is amazing. Now, it's not strong, which is good because you don't really want your hand sanitizer mm. to perfume up the place, but it has a really soft, just a mild, mild hint. In fact, if you spray your hands after the alcohol dries, you actually have to put it up to your face to smell it. But I like it a lot better than just the lavender. It's nice. Wow, it sounds great. Is there a, and it's a, not too girly. Is there a demand for it? I mean, have people hand sanitizer? For hand sanitizer? Yes. I guess you can't find it in the grocery am, store. Yes, and I try to provide it at a very, very reasonable cost because it's ridiculous. People need hand sanitizer, especially if we're going to emerge from our house cocoons into the world again. We're going to want to keep our hands nice and clean and yep. the things we touch. That's one of the things that's going to change permanently, I think. We're yeah, doing I a think... lot more hand washing, a lot more hand sanitizing. Well, I think people are just a little more aware of the fact that germs exist. You know, if you don't go to medical school or an EMT or paramedic or, you know, even a police officer, you're probably not as cognizant of the germs that are everywhere. Sometimes that's not a bad thing. <laughs> To be in the dark about that because they lurk everywhere. But we need a little more recognition of that and a little more diligence towards keeping our hands clean. And I think, you know, this pushed us way in the other side, but I think we'll swing back at least moderately to keeping our hands clean and, and things around us. And that's a good thing. Thinking about what we touch and what touches us and where it's been before. We touched it. <laughs> <laughs> and with that, friends and neighbors, welcome to the Doom and Bloom Survival Medicine Podcast, a pod of prescience in a panicked world. Mm-hmm. I'm Joe Halton, MD, that old Dr. Bones, founder of Survival Top 50's Reader's Choice website, doomandbloom.net, your source for both medical education and an entire line of the best medical kits and supplies on the interweb. Oh, interweb. <laughs> You'll hear things on the show, by the way, that are outside the conventional medical wisdom, so be forewarned. We, we do have active medical licenses, though. We'd like to keep them, so we got to tell you that. All information and opinions voiced on the Survival Medicine Podcast are for entertainment purposes only and do not represent medical advice for anything other than post-apocalyptic settings. We strongly urge our audience to seek modern and standard medical care whenever and wherever it is available. Now, you forgot something. 
You've been, you've been doing this so many times yourself. What did I forget? To let me introduce myself. Oh! <laughs> bad, bad, no, bad old Dr. It's, Bones. It's my fault for not being around. <laughs> anyway, this is Amy Alton, also known as Nurse Amy, and I am an advanced registered nurse practitioner and a certified nurse midwife. And the hostess with the mostest. <laughs> Thank That's you. That's right. So, guys, don't listen to a thing we say. It's just a rambling of some old guy with uh, old-timers disease. Old-timers. That's, that's right. Funny. You can listen to her, though. She's sharp as a knife still. <laughs> and we hope that that will continue for many years. The deadly, the daily headlines are chock full of stories about the COVID-19 pandemic. That's pretty much all that's in the news just about. And if you've read them, you're probably left with the impression that society was unready for the ravages of the SARS-CoV-2 virus. Well, surprise, surprise, mm -hmm. I guess people haven't been listening to us for all those years. But the truth is, is that epidemic outbreaks of viral infectious diseases are pretty common. In the last few years, we've seen Ebola in West Africa. That was 2014. I think 2015 and 16, there was Zika in South America. And there's even chikungunya from Africa that went throughout the Caribbean uh, two or three years ago. The tropical countries experience yearly outbreaks of epidemic disease, things like malaria, and nations in cooler climates, uh, like in the United States, experience things like influenza every winter. And occasionally, a contagious and sometimes very lethal disease can infect almost every country on the planet, but that is indeed much rarer. The last deadly worldwide epidemic was known as the Spanish flu. It occurred 100 years ago, and it was responsible for infecting a third of the world's population and killing 50 to 100 million people. Now, compared to the Spanish flu, the number of COVID-19 fatalities are much less, and the number of cases as well, but random testing suggests that, well, in some places, at least 20% of the population have been exposed. Now, SARS-2, or SARS-CoV-2, it seems to have originated in a very specific area in the city of Wuhan, China. I think everybody knows that. The Chinese government specifically targets this wildlife meat market, but one unusual coincidence is noteworthy. And that's that the nation, which has an area approaching 4 million square miles, has only one biosafety level 4 lab for viruses. And that's known as the Wuhan Institute of Virology. It's located just eight miles away from the market, considering it could be anywhere between one, two million miles away, it's actually just eight miles away. And guess what? The Wuhan Center for Disease Control and Prevention, sure enough, they have a CDC just like we do, is even closer, maybe one or two miles away. And this simple fact suggests another possibility. Could the origin of SARS-CoV-2 be a live market? Could it be the high-level viral lab? Well, the folks at the Backwoods Home Magazine actually asked me to check in on this, sort of research it, and write an article about it, which you'll see. I hope you will definitely subscribe to Backwoods Home Magazine. My good friend Dave Duffy is the editor there and publisher, and he is awesome, and we were very glad to, or very privileged to, to write for his magazine from time to time. So, if so... Let's say that a lab origin is possible. It was a deadly contagious disease that was previously unknown to man the end product of some purposeful sanctioned research? Was it deliberately released into populated areas or did incompetent staff accidentally unleash the pathogen? Is it just a natural phenomenon that occurred? Very crazy. So there are three possible origins. A natural origin through animals, deliberate biowarfare, 
and of course the occasional lab accident. From a natural origin standpoint, the widely adopted conventional wisdom is that the, the SARS-CoV-2 virus is indeed a natural product of Chinese live markets according to most scientists. And they call these things live markets because of the availability of all these crazy living exotic wildlife that you ordinarily might not find in uh, mainland China. And some of these animals, such as bats, are well known to act as natural reservoirs for a number of disease-causing microbes. Disease-causing or microorganisms are known as pathogens. That means that they're known to carry, bats that is, known to carry viruses or bacteria and oftentimes without any sign of illness themselves. Most viruses are species specific. They affect only a particular animal, but there are a number of well-known viral diseases that have mutated to affect other species. And if that species is Homo sapiens, you and me, the disease is known as a zoonosis. And the list of zoonoses is pretty long. It includes very well-known viruses like, what would you consider? Rabies. Rabies, that's definitely. one, right? Ebola. Z Zika. Uh, Zika, and what else? Anthrax. Lyme. Lyme disease, uh, bird flu, and? Uh, the famous, the one and only COVID-19. That's right. So outbreaks of zoonoses usually begin where there is close human interaction with animals, such as farms and slaughterhouses, fairs, I don't know, petting the zoos. markets, right. <laughs> and of course, these live markets. Right. With the avian flu, the virus mutated to directly affect poultry workers in Asia. Not many other people other than that, but poultry workers did wind up getting a very severe disease, fatal in a number of cases. Researchers that are working with SARS-CoV-2, the current virus that has caused the COVID-19 epidemic, believe that there would have to be at least two mutations. One that allowed the virus, which exists in bats, to infect humans, and that possibly has occurred through an intermediate host, another kind of animal. And then there has to be another mutation on top of that that allows an infected person to infect other humans. So coronavirus epidemics, indeed, a number of them have started this way. The intermediate host in Middle East Respiratory Syndrome in 2012, that was a camel. In the Sudden Acute Respiratory Syndrome epidemic in 2003, it was an animal that was called a civet. And this civet is, well, it has the body of a cat and it has the face, I guess, of a, I don't know, a mongoose or a ferret. That is pretty much what a civet is. In the case of the current pandemic virus, scientists think that it's an anteater-like animal called the pangolin. And that may be the intermediate host. So there will be- Which is, by the way, a very strange looking animal. Oh, yeah. I didn't even know the thing existed. It's like a scaly anteater, right? Yeah. Armadillo it's, slash anteater. Ant it's a crazy looking thing. <laughs> I'll tell you that much. It's got armor plating on it, and it rolls up into a little ball. It probably could roll, we could roll it down the hill probably. Very strange. If, if, when it does that. So anyhow, a series of mutations like this may seem sort of unlikely, but scientific experience with coronavirus sort of begs to differ. Humans have all this different genetic material, DNA and RNA, but you might be surprised to know that almost all viruses have only DNA or only RNA. In the case of RNA viruses, like SARS-CoV-2, replication is fast and furious, but it's imperfect. That means errors, in other words, mutations, mm -hmm. occur pretty often. 
and it's thought that the virus that causes COVID-19 has already mutated into close to 30 different strains. So why couldn't it have mutated a couple of times to make the leap from bats to another animal, from another animal to humans, and from one human to another human? Makes perfect certainly sense. Can, certainly can happen. Absolutely. But contracting a virus from eating bats and pangolins and civets and koala bears well actually believe it or not you can get koala bears in these live markets Ugh. and other any other kinds of bush meat that's not that far a stretch so as a matter of fact there's evidence that exists that the 2014 ebola epidemic came from un- eating undercooked fruit bats that live in that area gross so that's we've the... seen pictures of that bat soup yeah oh god it's it looks terrible do you know that they just um decided to call dogs pets Really? Yes. What were they called before? Livestock? Probably. Yes, they were under livestock. Wow. They've just been declared pets. Now, that doesn't mean that there's any more protection for them. No. You can eat your pet, I guess. They're just declared pets. I think there's actually a festival in which there's like a a, a food festival for eating dogs there. It's a pretty... Our grandbaby was just here. Yes, a golden golden retriever pup. Six months old. Very cute dog. Big gonna be big compared to <laughs> he's already he's only big six, if only six months he's, he's gonna be very big but <laughs> anyhow anyway we don't agree with eating dogs in any way shape or form never have never will well and the good news is that coronavirus and dogs is a very rare thing to pass on to humans so it's the bat coronavirus that would be the natural origin that's right well, what about coronavirus as a bioweapon? Uh, you know, that's the other whole edge of the spectrum there. And some believe that uh, these Chinese virologists may have engineered SARS-CoV-2 for specific use as a bioweapon. It, rele- it was released into the population of a Chinese spir- uh, city as an experiment with the government willing to accept the consequences because they have a lot of citizens, a surplus maybe. Mm-hmm. Well, that is pretty out there theory and uh, Chinese officials as you can imagine deny it vehemently but what let's talk about the potential of SARS-CoV-2 as a biological warfare agent so what's biological warfare biological warfare is a term given to the use of infectious agents such as uh, bacteria viruses uh, their toxic byproducts to wreak death and havoc in target populations and the goal is to achieve control by weakening the ability of that population to resist Biological weapons, by the way, don't necessarily have to kill you. I unleashed a horde of locusts to destroy destroy your crops or planted anthrax in the soil uh, to kill livestock. Well, that might just be as effective in disrupting your society. This uh, type of weapon has been used a lot of times and all the way sensation. It even begins to appear in the Bible. It starts... Uh, as, a, as a biblical thing, as part of the plagues visited upon Pharaoh by a wrathful God. Uh, there are medieval accounts there. They're all over the place in Europe and Asia of um, armies catapulting plague-ridden corpses, bubonic plague-ridden oh corpses, into besieged cities. Uh, that would be terrifying, I would think, for a lot of people, especially back in those days. Uh, In the Western Hemisphere, the Native American population was decimated by the inadvertent introduction of smallpox, which opened vast swaths of land for European colonists. Now, more purposefully, biological warfare occurred against Native Americans when the British presented a gift of, I have to say gift in quotes, 
uh, of infected blankets as a peace offering during Pontiac's War. That occurred way back in the mid-1700s. So to evaluate SARS-CoV-2 as a bioweapon, we have to describe what would be the perfect biological agent. It should be infectious and contagious in a large percentage of those people exposed. That's one thing. And SARS-CoV-2, it's highly contagious. And 50% or more of some populations show evidence of antibodies when they're tested, uh, with, uh, when their blood is tested. Uh, it should cause severe long-term debilitation or death of the infected organism. SARS-CoV-2 may have no symptoms in a lot of people that are infected, but one in five actually end up in the hospital in serious or critical condition. That's a pretty high amount. That death rate for SARS-CoV-2 is thought to be 30 times at least that of seasonal influenza. So maybe so. That would be a, a, a good sort of check on the biological agent uh, status also. Have few available antidotes, preventatives, or cures. Sure enough, there's another check. There is no proven cure nor vaccine for COVID-19, and prevention involves social distancing, wearing personal protection equipment. We all know about that. The actions that you take to prevent the virus, well, they have a, an enormous negative effect on the economies of those countries that are affected. So that's a check. They need to be easily deliverable to the area or population targeted. SARS-CoV-2 is spread by respiratory droplets. It can live in aerosolized air for a period of time. Matter of fact, it's so easily established in areas that almost every country in the world has reported cases of it. And it should have a low likelihood of causing damage to those using the agent. Now, this is a criteria that is the only one that I think SARS fails to meet, uh, SARS-CoV-2 fails to meet. If you are given early warning, however, a home population that's at risk could avoid or at least delay a widespread infection by wearing masks, gloves, face shields, and other personal protection equipment. So it does check off a lot of the criteria for a good biological warfare agent, but not all. Now, some have suggested that purposeful genetic engineering by Chinese scientists produced this highly contagious version of coronavirus. And people that believe in this theory say that treatments that have been effective against the virus include anti-malarial and anti-HIV drugs, remdesivir is the anti-HIV, and chloroquine and hydroxychloroquine, the anti-malarial. Could researchers have inserted genes from HIV or malaria into a coronavirus, or maybe the flu, or something like that? Done a little recombination engineering. Well, certainly an HIV variant that could be caught simply by breathing well, that probably would be a pretty devastating agent. And the same goes for a malarial variant that skips the mosquito altogether and just passes through sneezes and coughs. So if such a virus was engineered, it would most likely originate, if it's going to originate anywhere, not in a live market, but in a lab, a biosafety level four lab like they have in Wuhan. Could China be capable of producing a virus that it would let loose on its own population with the knowledge that it would eventually spread throughout the world? Well. During the reign of Chairman Mao, 40 to 75 million Chinese perished due to political suppression and famines caused by his policies. The country is indeed still under an authoritarian regime that believes the ends justify the means. How else could China so easily disrupt the entire fabric of Western culture, something that may be happening right now? Now, having said that, almost every expert believes that a deliberate engineering of some deadly contagious virus is just simply not possible 
let alone releasing it into the local population. Their rationale for this is that the labs did not publish any recent studies on coronavirus in bats. Yet it is known that both the virology lab and the Wuhan CDC not uncommonly use virus-laden horseshoe bats, a, very, a specific species, in their research. But wait, how do we know this? Because they wiped all of their work off of their websites. I know, but it, before it was known that they were dealing with that one lab was uh, doing ex experiments on 155 bats, right? And another, the other lab was doing experiments on 450 bats. That's a lot of bats. And so, sure enough, we had looked at those websites, by the way. Oh yeah, the the lab website. We saw research that they had done, but now there's no proof that any of that was done. They they cleaned it out. There were all kinds of studies That's on that right. website. They even changed. Do you remember? They even changed Google Maps to make the um, route from the seafood mar the live market, to the center for virology in Wuhan, to be a longer, more circuitous route. That's more than 20 miles as opposed to a straight route oh, that's eight miles. Oh, my gosh. So that's, a good, that's sort of interesting that they did that. So, but the truth is, without more transparency, it's going to be impossible to prove any deliberate aspect oh, yeah. to the spread of COVID-19. Now, in a post-pandemic future, however, you know, once they see this, dictators in the future, terrorists, might be tempted to cause mayhem more often using biological warfare. Now, that leaves us with the accident theory, okay? The lab accident is very easy to describe ill will and bad motives on the part of uh, totalitarian governments, but many believers in the lab theory consider something else was at work, and that might be plain old human error or complacency or even greed in some cases. The old saying says accidents happen, right? Accidents. Right. Heard that a million times. Absolutely. Well, this is true even among scientists. In 1979, a Russian lab accidentally released anthrax into the surrounding area, Durr. killing 42 people, infecting sheep over 200 miles away, and causing the immediate area to be off limits. And guess what? It's off limits even today. That was back in 79. Wow. Wow. Well, today, the risk of inadvertent contamination, that's a major deterrent for most countries at least, to the use of biologic agents, even in warfare. Now, an accident is more likely to occur when lab facilities are embedded deep in major population centers. And that's exactly the situation with the two Chinese labs that I'm talking about here. That city has 11 million people in it, and it's right in the center of it. Despite claims by a lot of professors that a lab accident is just not possible, well, even U.S. intelligence agencies are now seriously examining whether the origins of the COVID-19 pandemic could trace, indeed, to a Chinese lab. Yes, but let's just be clear, that doesn't mean that it was a bioweapon. Those are two completely different subjects. Right, either a blunder and a bioweapon are two different things. Yes. Uh, although their end result may be similar. Well, yes, they get released. But the bioweapon, generally speaking, if they know what they're doing, is going to be more lethal. Absolutely, you would think. Well... Health officials in China, they are quick to deny, of course, any purposeful involvement in putting together a bioweapon, but, but they're of also course. quick to deny any errors or laxity in, in infection control procedures. They're equally quick, by the way, to deny entry to American experts, however, in the wake of the pandemic. And the government has gone so far as to try to implicate the U.S. Army as the cause for the epidemic, some kind of 
I don't know what their theory is, but Unbelievable. it's just pretty crazy. Uh, there are a lot of different ways. There are various areas, ways that the coronavirus it could escape the confines of a laboratory. Let's say personnel who incorrectly don or doff personal protection equipment. That's part of our book, uh, All in the Pandemic Preparedness Guide. They could easily have become contaminated if they didn't do things right. Our CDC recommends that a trained observer watch as workers put on and take off masks, gloves, coveralls, the whole magilla there. And the entire process takes many steps. Uh, you have to wash gloved hands mm-hmm. on and off several times during the between, removal. Between, between, between. Between touching this? I, absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, lab equipment, workspaces, they could also become contaminated. If, if, even if the personnel are doing things exactly right, the surfaces of the lab, they have to be cleaned by somebody, right? And the people that may be cleaning, well, they may not adequately disinfect work areas. That could be a factor. Uh, the SARS-CoV-2 virus can live for a period of time on hard surfaces. And it seems to last longer on hard surfaces than it does on some other surfaces. Now, trained lab workers, they may be well acquainted with infection control, but maintenance crews, maybe not so much. So if they dispose of dead bats or other animal carcasses badly, well, that could be how the virus exited the facility. And of course, what about... These bats, these bats are apparently are some kind of commodity that people eat over there. So if you had an unscrupulous lab employee that was charged with disposing of all these bats used in research, may have decided to make a quick buck oh, and sell or a quick yuan yes. and sell fresh bats to a local live market. From the lab. Yes. And the Chinese have a predilection Yikes. to all these exotic delicacies. Bats could easily have been on the menu. And you can actually see, I think, YouTube videos of people eating, Chinese people eating bats or bat soup or something like that. So what actually happened? I mean, beyond the knowledge that bats are the natural reservoir for SARS-CoV-2, your guess is as good as mine. Oh, and also the proximity of the labs to the live market. Right. Those are the two things that we actually do know. But otherwise, your guess is pretty much as good as mine, which is, which is the actual origin. We just don't know how we're going to find out. If they've wiped all the evidence, how are we ever going to really know? Well, it just depends on your view, point of view. University professors, they're just sure that it's related to animals in the live market. But reports suggest that no bats were for sale when the first COVID-19 cases were identified. Even if you factor in an intermediate host, like a pangolin, mm-hmm. many Wuhan citizens that came down with the disease, even in the early going, had no connection to the market. Mm. It's conceivable that nations may experiment with disease-causing organisms that can become bioweapons. I'm sure that has happened in Russia. I'm knowing it's happened in Russia, and it probably happens in China, and it probably happens in a bunch of other countries. But any sane nation would be looking for cures, not deadlier superviruses. Right. So just as difficult to believe is that China would deliberately release a virus into its own population. Difficult, but not inconceivable. Now, if these theories are flawed, if the two theories I mentioned are flawed, then unintentional contamination from a lab is the other option. You know, wise men say the error is human, right? Well, human error indeed may be the most likely culprit for the COVID-19 pandemic. They have all these mistakes, blunders, miscalculations, all these things have changed history in the past, and there's reason to believe they'll continue to do so. They may have done so with this pandemic, and they certainly could do so in the future. Now, speaking of uh, 
theories, the World Health Organization is warning that people who have had COVID-19 are not necessarily immune by having antibodies against the virus. They may indeed get the virus again, even if indeed they have antibodies present on blood tests. Now, the test that we have takes about 15 minutes, and the presence of antibodies in a person's blood is supposed to signify that there's some immunity to the coronavirus. But there's no evidence yet that people who have had COVID-19 will not get a second infection. Indeed, it doesn't surprise me at all that that could possibly happen. It cautions against governments that are considering issuing so-called immunity passports or immunity ID cards to people who have had COVID-19. Well, they are assuming that people are safe to resume normal life. The truth is that immunity passports or special ID cards that say that you are fine. It, truthfully, I'm not so sure that you can be certain that you're safe from getting COVID-19 again. So at this point in the pandemic, there's just no evidence or not enough evidence about the effectiveness of antibody-mediated immunity to guarantee the accuracy of some risk-free certificate that the World Health Organization or the CDC would give out. It's not really known whether people who have had the virus, they've been exposed to the virus, become completely immune like you would if you had chickenpox. The New World Health Organization brief actually underscores that, says that, hey, you know what? The truth of the matter is, is that this stuff, if you develop antibodies, they may be weak antibodies and not be able to handle a big viral load, or it's possible that they are very short-lived and they sort of disappear from the blood within a short time after recovery. Which we won't know until we do extensive antibody testing. And that's right. And, and that's... track people who've had it and say, okay, this one had a terrible case. They were on a ventilator. They still have antibodies after X number of months or X number of years. The only way to track that is through time. And then track people who had a moderate case and track people who had mild cases and track people who had asymptomatic cases. All of those categories need to be checked repeatedly until we find that there are no antibodies or it's just been a really long time. I mean, we really need to, to continue to check, you know, 10, 20 years down the road. And this is a huge undertaking, you know, and you can't, you know, I see people that are criticizing the government for a slow response. I don't think that they, any other government would have responded much more quickly that is actually a democratic government. I mean, if you are a totalitarian government, you could nail everybody's doors shut so they can't get out, and maybe that might make a difference. Although the truth is, China did that, and and most likely, if we knew the truth about how much uh, of the COVID-19 they had, it probably would be some ridiculous number in terms of cases and in terms of deaths. Right, so we have we have some people complaining that oh, we don't have a vaccine yet, which is ridiculous because normally these things take a couple of years Yes, for safety. Yes, I think we've been fast-tracking things as much as we can. Absolutely. So now they're saying, you know, hopefully we'll have it in a year, which is half the time or less than half the time typically that we get new vaccines. We're not talking about the flu vaccine, which is just kind of repeated, you know, rinse and repeat year by year. We're talking about something completely different. They gotta first figure out how it works. 
Okay, you are absolutely right. And you know what? We are out of time for today's show. We thank you for listening to the Survival Medicine Podcast with Joe Alton, MD, and wonderfully <laughs> Amy Alton, ARMP. We are so glad that she is with us today. We <laughs> miss you, you darling. We need you, need you on these days. I love you. All right. Well, thanks, everybody, and we hope that you'll listen in next time. You've been listening to the Doom and Bloom Hour with medical preparedness experts Dr. Bones and Nurse Amy. Check out our website at www.doomandbloom.net for hundreds of informative articles about survival medicine, gardening, natural remedies, medical supplies, and lots of other good stuff. Contact us, send your email to drbonespodcast at aol.com or use the contact form on the main page of the website. See you next week.